0: It's good to be back. It's been a while since I've been here. Since I was here last, my family and I have moved from Southeast Tennessee to Central Florida. It's much hotter in Florida than I had realized before we made that decision. But here, there there we are. Yes, I was surprised by the weather. And but it's it's good. I'm teaching there at Southeastern University, which is a school about 8,500 students, much larger school than where I was before at the seminary and we are still trying to sell our house in Tennessee and buy a house in Florida so we're staying with some friends so when you when you think of us pray for us that we can continue that transition but all in all things are going well and we're excited about the the new part of 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 our life together there. So, let's, let's pray first, and then we'll jump into what I have to share with you today. Lord, thank you, as always, for opening up time and space for us, for creating this room in which we can encounter you together and encounter one another through you. God, I pray that we leave here today encouraged and uplifted and strengthened and provoked in all the best ways to live the life you've called us to live. We pray this in Christ and by the Spirit. Amen. So all of the lectionary texts this week are about speaking, about the mouth, about words, about speaking graciously and faithfully and not speaking ungraciously and unfaithfully. And I realized several days into studying those texts that I ironically had nothing to say about speaking. And some of you are glad to hear that because you think we could end at this point. I know your wicked hearts. <laughs> but I decided to stay to stay with it, and the more I stayed with it, and the more I studied, the worse it got. The more despairing I became, because one of the key texts, the New, the New Testament text, is James chapter three. I want you to hear James chapter three. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters. Now imagine, you're, you're struggling to have something to say about these texts, and, and this is one of the texts that you have to wrestle with. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters. So the more I studied, the less sure I was not only what I would say, but whether I should ever say anything at all. <laughs> For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. If we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships. Though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. And then it it gets worse from there. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. Mm. Don't you love the Lord? For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species. But no one can tame the tongue. No one can tame the tongue. A restless evil, full of deadly poison. So I started with nothing to say. And then I despaired of ever saying anything at all. What can you say about a text like this, that the tongue is full of poison, set on fire by hell, destructive in almost infinite ways. And that, of course, got me to thinking about all the ways in my life in which I've harmed people with what I've said, and the ways in which people have harmed me with what I've said and what they've said about me. And so much of the time of study was just reflection over those hurts, over the ways in which I know words I've said have left people damaged, broken, afraid, unsure of themselves, unsure of God. I know that because I know other people's words have done that to me. I know other people's words have brought me to tears, have brought me into a crisis, have kept me up at night, have made me doubt myself. Have made me doubt God. And then I thought, well, we have to stop doing that. Somehow we have to to change the way we're speaking to each other. But immediately I realized, "I I don't think that's the way forward. I don't think the way forward is to clench our fists and to grit our teeth and try harder to speak better. Because that that never works out well. When, when we have this religious instinct to do better, we always put ourselves in the position of greater sin. There's something about Romans 7 makes it clear that sin uses our religious instincts against us to destroy us. So whenever we realize something good needs to be done and everything in us wants to do that good thing, it's right at that moment that we're opened up to temptation. We're open up to temptation to think we can do more than we can do. We're open up to temptation to think we're more than we are. We're open up to temptation that God is at work in our lives in a way he isn't. We're up to temptation to, open to temptation to think we're supposed to do things in people's lives that we're not. It's all, all kinds of wickedness can take place the moment I start to try to take control of my morality, the moment I start to try to take control of my life in that way. So I don't want to say to you this morning, do better. Speak life and not death. But I do want us to do better. I do want to be the kind of person who speaks life and not death. And so what do we do? And so I I prayed and read and read and prayed and despaired. And then it hit me, reading Augustine, actually, St. Augustine, and one of his sermons on this text. No one can tame the tongue. And God became no one so that he could tame the tongue. That's what happens in Jesus Christ. God becomes a nobody precisely so he can reframe the human nature and the way in which human nature is enacted. Because Jesus is, first, the speech of God, and then he humanly speaks the word of God. And he does that as a nobody. He Philippians language, he makes of himself nothing, he makes himself of no reputation. He empties himself out. He becomes a nobody. And in becoming a nobody, he becomes the one who can tame the tongue. And that's the one who's at alive in us. And the moment I realized that there is one, a no one, who can tame the tongue, it all shifted for me. And I started to realize this. God is a God who speaks. In the beginning, God said, and there was. In fact, we could say God's entire life is a conversation. There is the Father who speaks, there is the Son who is spoken, there is the Spirit who is the outcome of their speech. God speaks, what he speaks is Jesus, and what comes of Jesus is love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and self-control. God's own life is a conversation. And that God who speaks and is spoken and is the outcome of that speaking is in us and is calling us to speak, calling us to be Christ, calling us to be like the Spirit in bringing joy and peace and goodness into the lives of other people. And so we do not have to be afraid. Even though it's true, in and of itself our tongue is a poison. It is a fire. There is one who is a consuming fire, who consumes even the fire of hell. There is one who is, settles on us like a tongue of fire, the Spirit, who sets us free to speak, even though naturally we can't do it. We can't speak life. We can only speak death. And even when we try to speak life, we speak death. But in Christ, that reality is shifted. So we have to, we have to learn to speak by faith and not from our own nature, not from our own instinct. We have to, we have to learn not to speak our advice, but to speak the Word of God. I, I don't know why we think people need our advice. You know, we don't even take our own advice. So somehow we have to stop being people of advice and start being people of the word of God. We have to be people who learn not to say what we're thinking, but to say what God is saying. Not to speak our hearts, but to speak Jesus, to speak God's heart. And and we do that, I think, we do that, I think, by recognizing what God's life is like. That God's life is a life of conversation, a life in which no one gets the final word because every word God speaks opens up room for the next person to speak. So that one of the marks of the life of God in us is that we're never trying to end a conversation. We're always opening up the next moment for the conversation. That we we hear and then we speak, but we speak in such a way that the next person can hear and they can speak. We, we open up this movement of the life of God. There's a painting, a famous icon by Andrei Rublev. Of the, it's called The Icon of the Trinity. He actually paints the three visitors to Abraham. And... If you if you look at this image, you can Google it now if you if you're impatient. But you can look later if you want. The, if you Google the image, you'll see that it's a painting of these three angels representing the Trinity, and uh, at a table, and at the center of the table is the Eucharistic chalice. And the painting is it's orchestrated in such a way that you you can imagine yourself coming into the kind of fourth space. The table is open toward you. So as the viewer, you've, you've, in a sense, come up to the table where God is encountering God. And the first thing you notice, of course, is that none of them are looking at you. The Father is looking at the Son, the Son is looking at the Father, and the Spirit is looking at the chalice. And so if you walk up, the first thing you notice at the center of the table is the chalice. And then you notice that Jesus is pointing to the chalice. And you follow his arm up to his face, and you see that he's looking at the Father. And you look at the Father, and you realize that he's pointing across to the Spirit. And then you look at the Spirit, you see the Spirit's face, his eyes are turned to the chalice, and you're right back at the beginning of the circuit. So you begin with the chalice, follow Jesus to the Father, the Father to the Spirit, the Spirit to the Eucharist, the Eucharist back to Jesus, Jesus to the father, the father to the spirit, and we continue the circuit. And there's something about that dynamic, that openness, that envelops us, that welcomes us in, that should mark the way that we engage other people. And this is one of the ways you can tell the difference between advice and speaking the word of God. Advice ends a conversation. They either listen to you or they don't. They do what you think they should do or they don't. But counsel the Word of God opens them up to begin to speak to God and to speak to other people. You're not trying to have the last word. You're simply trying to speak what God is speaking. And if you are speaking what God is speaking, good. If you're not, then let it die. Because this is not about you getting your word said. It's about participating in what God is saying. And so much about our lives would shift if we could just recognize that fundamental difference. It's subtle, but it's fundamental. The difference between speaking the counsel of the Word of God and speaking advice. And that the mark of it, the smell of it, is that it's open, and it's inviting, and it's welcoming, and it's hospitable. And it's not closure, it's not ending, it's not final, it's not definitive. It doesn't close down possibilities, it opens up possibilities. And we speak in ways that engender faith and hope and love, rather than guilt and condemnation and fear. That, that is what marks the speech of God. Because... Again, the speech of God is Jesus. And Jesus is nothing but, if, if Jesus is nothing but what the Father speaks, what the Father speaks is nothing but the affirmation of our humanity. What does God say? He says yes to us. Look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Everything God says is an affirmation of our humanity, an affirmation of what he's created us to be. Second Corinthians chapter 1. Paul is writing to the Corinthians explaining what has happened. He had planned to come to see them and the plans had fallen apart and now he's explaining himself. And in the middle of explaining himself, he stumbles into theological reflection and begins to talk about the life of God. He couldn't help himself. And so he says, verse verse 18, As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. So they've they've taken Paul to be double-minded and double-tongued. They've taken Paul to say yes when he means no and say no when he means yes. And and Paul says, that's not what happened at all. I meant to come. It simply couldn't happen. Like God is faithful, we do not say yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed proclaimed among you, Sylvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but always yes. The Son of God is not yes and no, He's always yes. For in Him, every one of God's promises is a yes. For this reason, it is through Him that we say the amen to the glory of God. Every word God says is a yes to who we are. Even when God says no, His no is just a form of His yes to what He's made us to be. When he says no to sin, no to injustice, no to corruption, no to lies, no to greed, he's simply saying yes to what he's made us to be. When he says no to adultery, it's because he's called us to the good of marriage. When he says no to lying, it's because he's called us to the good of speaking the truth. When he says no to greed, it's because he's called us to the good of generosity. So even his no is nothing but a yes to what he means for us. That's God's speech to us. That's who Jesus is. The affirmation of, of our humanity, the the making firm of our humanity. And so Paul is so deeply affected by this. Look what happens in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 14. Well, look at verse 13. Let's start in verse 13. But just as we have the same spirit of faith that is in accordance with the Scripture, and he quotes a psalm, I believed, and so I spoke. I believed, and so I spoke. And I want to stop. We're going to keep reading, but I want to stop to say, this is the fundamental difference between advice, opinion, and counsel and the Word of God. Is advice and opinion is, I thought, and so I said. I thought, and so I said. But... We offer counsel, we speak the word of God when we believe and so we speak. When I speak not from my thoughts, not from my wisdom, but from my trust in the wisdom of God. And if you're unsure at which you're speaking from, don't speak! Boniface says that the greatest gift we give each other is the gift of not saying what comes to mind to say. So if you're unsure about speaking into someone's life, you're not sure if you're speaking from your opinion or from the counsel of the word of God, then just don't say anything until God makes it clear to you. Now you can speak from a place of faith. You can speak from a place of trust in God. Otherwise, just just be quiet. As James will say, God is in heaven, you are on earth, let your words be few. But when it comes time to speak and you can speak because you believe in what God is saying, then speak and speak boldly. Speak, speak in the Spirit. I believed, and therefore I have spoken. We also believe, Paul says, and so we speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus. What God has done for Jesus, He will do with us, and will bring us with you into His presence. Notice what Paul says. Yes. Yes, everything is for your sake. Do You know what is happening with Paul? He's struggling with this community. This community has turned against him. They've rejected his authority. They've rejected his care for them. And he's writing to them in the midst of that conflict. And what he says to them is not his opinion. He doesn't speak from his own hurts and his own confusions and his own anger. But he speaks from faith and he says, In the spirit of faith, I say to you what God said to you. Yes, everything is for your sake. Yes, everything is for your sake, everything is for you, everything is for your good, so that grace, as it extends to more and more people, may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And this is the outcome of speaking the yes of God. Grace extends more and more and more. We need to think of this as a kind of positive infection, an infectious healing that we catch, that every time we speak, not from opinion, not from thoughts of our own, but from the Word of God, every time we speak in faith believing, what happens is we infect someone with grace, and that is catchable. It's highly, highly, highly catchable. And every time you speak a word of grace, what happens is they, they become graced in a way that will somehow infect someone near them. Every kind word you say, that's spoken in the spirit of God every generous word you say that's spoken in the in the in the generosity of God every word of healing that you say you cannot imagine the kind of grace that it spreads around you the ways in which it ripples out into lives of people you will never know simply because you're speaking the word of God what does God say about his own word it will not come back to me void that when the Word of God is spoken to someone's life, it doesn't end with them, but it moves through them. Remember, the circuit of God's life. If you see Jesus, you see the Father. If you see the Father, you see the Spirit. If you see the Spirit, you see the table that He's invited us to. If you see the table, you see Jesus. If you see Jesus, you see the Father. And so to speak the Word of God is to invite that kind of reciprocity into people's lives. And you can't imagine the kind of effect that has long term as it spills out, as it ripples out, as it radiates out from that one word of grace that you speak from a place of faith rather from a place of opinion paul says yes everything is for your sake and so i think the form of speech is identifiable we can identify the form of speech that marks speaking the word of god when we speak from opinion we speak from our our flesh all of our words begin with if then if you do this then this will happen if you don't do this then this will happen if you will be this for me then i will be this for you if you will give me this i will give this to you our 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 speech is always conditioned by our limits By the limits of our nature, by the limits of our imagination, by the limits of our character. It's always conditioned by our own limits. But God's speech isn't limited. And so God doesn't say, if, then. God says, because, therefore. Because I am, you can be. Because I am, you are. Because I am, you will. And so this this is what marks the faithful speech, the speech of faith rather than the speech of flesh or the speech of of opinion. And that is, we say to people, one of these three things, because God is God, you are, and we we name their identity. Because God is God, you are beloved. Because God is God, you are secure. Because God is God, you are embraced in the love that God has for himself. Because God is God, you are blessed with all blessings in, in heaven. Because God is God, you are dear to me, and to everyone else who loves God. We say, because God is God, you will. And we speak to their purpose. We not only name their identity, we direct them toward their purpose. Because God is God, you will possess everything that he intends for you. You will receive every good that he intends for you. You will accomplish everything that he means for you to accomplish. Not because you are you, but because God is God and God is in you. And because in God you are made new. And because of that, your purpose is certain. Your purpose is secure. It's firm. God has affirmed your purpose, and you will be this. You will do this, because God is God. And then we say, not only who you are, not only what you will do, but that you can do it. We speak to in ways that encourage. You can do this. So when we begin to speak in faith, we begin to speak the Word of God, we begin to hear ourselves saying things like, because God is God, you are beautiful. Because God is God, you are forgiven. Because God is God, you are trusted. Because God is God, you are welcome. Because God is God, you will do everything He's put in your heart to do. Because God is God, you will see victory. Because God is God, you will endure. Because God is God, you will remain secure in your relationship with Him no matter what comes. And because God is God, you can do all things in Him. Because God is God, you can resist the temptations you're facing. Because God is God, you can learn a way forward into what seems like an impossible future. Because God is God, you can do everything you're called to do. So what should begin to mark our speech are those phrases. You are, you will, you can. Not if you meet my conditions, but simply because God is God. Not if you do what I think you should do, but simply because God is God. The root of our confidence in other people is not our experience with them, but our knowledge of God and Jesus Christ. I don't speak to you words of hope because I trust your character. I speak to you words of hope because I trust His character. Because God is God, you are. Because God is God, you will. Because of God, you can. Think about what can happen if you stop looking to people and your experience with them to speak into their future and you look to God and what God is doing in them to speak to their future. That, that's, that's, that makes all the difference, literally all the difference in the world. One is to speak from opinion, to speak from flesh, to speak from your own heart, and the other is to speak in the Spirit, to speak in faith. And so this is what I'm going to do to close. And this is on the fly, so I hope this is okay. It's going to be okay. It's, it's going to be fine. What I want us to do is I want us to make three dedications. And first, I want us to dedicate our hearts. One of the passages this week in the lectionary is, God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And when we we think about our hearts first, what I want us to do is is I want us to pray over our hearts that our thoughts toward ourselves will start to be thoughts of spirit and faith rather than opinion. That the inner dialogue we have with ourselves, where we say to ourselves, you are this, you will do that, you can do this, That that internal dialogue will no longer rise from our own nature because that's just a poison. It will no longer arise from the fire that's been set alight in us by hell, but will be, arise from the fire that's been set in us by God. And that what I will begin to say to myself in my heart is you are what God says you are. You will do what God has called you to do. You can do it because God is in you. And that that will become my internal dialogue. What I say to myself is not my word to myself, but His word to me. Not, not positive affirmation. Not looking in the mirror and saying to myself what I think I need to hear, but looking in the mirror and saying to myself what God has said about me in Jesus Christ. That He says, yes. He says everything is for my sake. He says that I'm loved. He said that He gives up Himself so that He can be with me. I need, I need to hear that. I need to hear that in such ways that it's, it's deeply, deeply embedded in my soul. So that when I speak to myself in the night, what I'm speaking is gospel and not law. What I'm speaking is life and not death so much of the destruction that happens in our life i think happens because of what we're saying to ourselves when we're all by ourselves that internal script in which we are saying to ourselves all of these words of condemnation and judgment and shame and confusion and doubt and pride and arrogance when what god wants is his word to be spoken over and over i have hidden your word in my heart that just doesn't mean memorizing bible verses It means letting God's word dwell in our heart in such a way that what we think when we think to ourselves is His word over us. We begin to hear not the song that we're singing, but the song He's singing over us. So first, let's start with our hearts. Put your hand on your heart, if you will. Make a cross, in fact, over your heart. And let me pray this over you. God, we give our hearts to you. We give our internal dialogue to you, the ways that we speak about ourselves. And God, we invite your fire to enlighten us, to come alive in us so that the words we speak to ourselves are your words and not our own. That what we begin to let run through us, what we begin to meditate on, to chew on, is not our own judgments of ourselves, our own feelings about ourselves, but your thoughts toward us, your thoughts of of peace and joy and goodness, of, of love and soundness, God, let that be what dwells in us. and Let our hearts, God, become a habitation for your word. God, let us internalize, ingest the words you speak over us, the yes that you speak over us in Jesus Christ, until we really begin to believe it down in our bones. God, let our hearts and minds settle into trusting what you say about us. You think about this passage in, in James, that says the tongue is a fire. But think about the fire of God. What, what happens when you do tame fire? You can use fire to light. You can use fire to warm. You can use fire to cook. You can use fire to destroy what needs to be destroyed. That's what God wants to do with the fire of the tongue. Make it light and warmth. Make it the, dis- the destroyer of all that needs to be destroyed that makes it so that we can care for those who are, who are around us, can welcome them in, into our lives. So, God, we give you our hearts. Once again, we do it again and again, and we'll have to do it again tomorrow and the day after that, but we give you our hearts today, and we invite you into that dialogue. And then the second dedication I want you to make is to put your hands on your lips. And let me speak this prayer over you. God, we give you our mouths. Like Isaiah we are a people of unclean lips and day after day out of these mouths come destructive words mostly to the people we love the most. And God we hurt them by what we say and what we don't say as we've already confessed. But God we give you our mouths and we'll have to do it again tomorrow and we'll have to do it again the day after that but today we give you our mouths and we say God let your word be on our lips. Let let us speak words that are li- words of life and not death. Not because we're trying hard to be good, but because we trust that you're speaking through us. Because we trust that you want to speak through us, that you, the God who speaks, wants to be with the people who speak and to speak life with you, to speak joy and peace and goodness with you. So God, today, I pray that the words of my mouth will please you because they bring life to other people. I think about there's nothing in my life that brings me more joy than to hear my children speaking life to each other. You know this what this is like as a parent, to hear, hear them speaking to each other in ways that are, that are just delightful. Moments where my youngest son will see his older siblings getting disciplined and he'll run to them and comfort them. And the kind of pride that that brings into me. Imagine what God feels When he hears you speaking words of life to the people around you. When he hears you speaking words of comfort and forgiveness and security to those around you. So God, we give you our mouths. Let our mouths speak your word. Not our opinions. Not our advice. But your word. Amen. And then last of all, I want you to take your phones. And this is the really hard one. This, This is the really challenging territory. I don't want to overstate the case, but I do, do believe that one of the things that shifted in the last 10 years within the church is the space, the, the social media space, the online space, and I don't think most of us in church were prepared for what would happen to our communities when we had that kind of access to each other. And I don't think it's just just sanctuary. Every community I know, every community I know, has crisis after crisis after crisis because of what one member is saying on Facebook or Twitter or email and what some other member is hearing and seeing and, and saying in response. I could name dozens, dozens of churches that I personally know that have lost families, that have split, that are in crisis because of this and because this hasn't been given to God where people are going online and giving their advice, throwing their opinion around. No one wants your opinion. No one wants my opinion. We're not called to share our opinion. We're called to speak the Word of God. And that includes in this virtual space. This is not a space for me to empty my mind. This is a space for me to speak the love and peace and joy of God. This is a space for me to say nothing but what builds up. Paul, Paul and Jesus both make it very clear. Don't say anything that doesn't lead to the building up of other people. Jesus says, in fact, you will be judged for the words you say. By your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Speak words of life or don't speak words at all. So God, we give you this space. We give you the space that we have virtually Our emails, our Facebook status, our Twitter updates, whatever it is, God, we give it to you. And we realize that this is territory that you claim as well. And God, we want you to know our commitment to you, a commitment we can make because we sense your spirit at work in us. We will use this space to bring grace, to speak your yes and not our no We will use this space to spread the the grace of your presence and not our own presence, not our own judgment, not our own perspective. God, entrust us to speak and give us this space and we will inhabit it faithfully. We give it to you and we ask you to awaken in us the faith to speak rightly. And so God, with our hearts, and with our mouths, and in our virtual spaces. Let all of us in this room become people who speak what you're speaking. Become people who say your yes, and not our own no. People who speak not our opinions, but the word of life. And let that grace expand more, and more, and more, and more. Let that infectious disease of grace be caught today and let us carry it out of here and infect everyone we encounter. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.